Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the Christmas by Candlelight Tour, December 2nd, with holiday decorations and entertainment at six historic Jackson sites starting at the Mississippi State Capitol. Complimentary transportation between sites available. Details at mdah.ms.gov. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, what Obamacare might be like in Mississippi under President-elect Donald Trump. Then, looking for policies that help moms among the working poor in the state. If we look at poverty rates nationwide, uh, our poverty rate is about 14.5% today. But if we look at the category of single mothers, the uh, the rate of poverty is 40%. Later, a new campaign to help more Mississippi school kids read at grade level. And corporate intrigue and personal passion in our book club. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The current enrollment period for insurance under the Affordable Care Act continues. Many Mississippians are wondering what will become of the law when Donald Trump takes office. The president-elect campaigned on a pledge to repeal and replace Obamacare. Political rhetoric aside, some physicians say the law is more likely to be changed than done away with. MPB's Desiree Frazier spoke with Dr. William Truly, president of the Mississippi Medical and Surgical Association. He says more Mississippians need to be educated on the benefits of the program. First of all, I think that uh, I don't know of any Mississippian, uh, if you ask them the following question. One, how would you like to have health insurance in which you insure and you already have an existing condition like asthma, like COPD, uh, like leukemia, like uh, melanoma, and you can still be insured? I don't know of a single Mississippian who wouldn't want their children on their insurance up until the age of 26. So you got two factors here. I don't know of any Mississippian who wouldn't want pre-existing insurance. I don't know of any Mississippian who would have a problem with their children staying on their insurance until they're 26. And then, of course, I don't know of any Mississippian who would want to do away with the tax credits, which helps mitigate and or decrease the cost. So if you present that to most Mississippians that way, then, of course, everyone is in favor of it. But if you call the same scenario affordable health care, then nobody wants it. And if you call the same scenario Obamacare, then, of course, nobody wants it. Now, does that make sense to you? The name seems to be the 
offensive traits and defensive characteristics, but the substance appears to be something that is acceptable. And it is acceptable. It is something that most Americans are in favor of. Matter of fact, if you look at the Mason-Dixon poll, you will discover now that 63% of Mississippians are in favor of this very type of insurance that I'm talking about. Now, they may not want to call it Obamacare, which is what it is. They may not want to call it Affordable Health Care or the Affordable Health Care Act, which is what it is. But this is what, according to the poll, that we now favor. Of course, in the polling that was done by the Mason-Dixie poll, actually named it Affordable Health Care. So I, I think that from a moral point of view and an ethical point of view, where you have so many uh, Mississippians having problems, and we're the, we have, we, you know, we're the leading drum majors when it comes to health care in terms of having illnesses. Uh, we just about lead the nation in diabetes, just about lead the nation in uh, pulmonary diseases, just about lead the nation in any type of disease that you can possibly think of. So why wouldn't you want to have healthier Mississippians? Uh, there's a direct relationship between a healthy Mississippians and a job-productive Mississippians. It just makes good sense. And, of course, the economic point of all of this is that if you expand Medicaid and, and, uh, and make it applicable to 20% of Mississippians who are under the age of 65, then you're talking about bringing an additional 300,000 folks. Well, what does that do? In my line of work, when a patient comes to the hospital, for all practical purposes, we see a lot of folks, as most emergency rooms do, who simply cannot afford medical room services. But if they have some form of reimbursement, such as the Affordable Health Care Act, or some form of insurance, then what that means is that hospitals can, of course, be paid. Uh, hospitals in the state of Mississippi now uh, have almost $518 million of uncompensated care. And uncompensated care means the services that you render to folks who are unable to pay. So expanding the affordable health care closes this gap and narrows this bridge and allows people who are not now insured to have insurance pay for the health care services. What about critics who say people um, who have the insurance don't know how to use it and they're still going to the emergency room? Well, that that's a lack of education. Uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of people who come through my emergency room, when I ask them about the Affordable Health Care Act, one, they never heard of it, two, they don't know what it is. They simply don't know. And so... In my world, uh, I deal with a lot of patients who are simply indigent, uh, people who are poor, uh, people who don't have the kind of education that you and I have and who simply don't understand. So we have to develop delivery uh, systems in which the communication is better in making these patients understand the importance of having coverage. MPB's Desiree Frazier with Dr. William Truly, president of the Mississippi Medical and Surgical Association on Obamacare. Up next, looking for policies that help moms among the working poor in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The election is over, and the nation has selected a new president, and with it a new chapter in history has begun. 
We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will continue to bring you the best coverage from coast to coast. Listen every day. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Cleve Jones has a new memoir out from his life in San Francisco during the early gay rights movement through the AIDS crisis and the fight for marriage equality. I've seen change. I've seen it. I've seen real change that's transformed the lives of millions of ordinary people. So I am old, but I am not cynical. I, I believe change is possible. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi has the highest poverty rate in the nation among women, 23.1%. Almost one in three children in the state lives in poverty, and nearly 65% of poor families are headed by single mothers. A forum to investigate solutions to these issues will be held tomorrow at the King Edward Hotel in Jackson, the second annual Women's Economic Security Summit. The summit is presented by Biloxi-based Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative. Pramila Nadison will be the keynote speaker. She tells us poverty remains a pressing issue for women in Mississippi and across America. Well, I think there are a number of issues that are facing women in this country today, uh, from issues of sexual harassment, issues of incarceration. I think one of the most pressing issues is the issue of poverty. If we look at poverty rates nationwide. Uh, Our poverty rate is about 14.5% today. But if we look at the category of single mothers, the uh, the rate of poverty is 40%. And half of those single mothers who are living in poverty are living in what is known as extreme poverty, meaning that they have a great deal of difficulty in simply putting food on the table in terms of having housing, in terms of being able to take care of their children. So I think the question of poverty is a central one, and that is obviously tied to the issue of low wages and the ways in which women are able to earn enough to support their families and also find adequate, uh, reliable, and affordable child care. Is there a common thread between the challenges faced by women and challenges faced by minorities? It seems that poverty would come to the top again. Absolutely. So a disproportionate number of those single mothers who are living in poverty, a disproportionate percentage of women of color uh, are impoverished. So if we just look at the statistics um, in Mississippi, for example, uh, 47% of black children in Mississippi are living at or below the poverty line, whereas only 15% of non-Hispanic white children are living at or below the poverty line. So questions of poverty across the board are disproportionately affecting women of color, especially African-American and Latina and Native American women. And we talk about this a great deal in Mississippi because of those statistics and how alarming they are. Will that be focused in your keynote speech? Absolutely. So so at the second annual Mississippi Women's Economic Security Policy Summit, there will be lots of conversation about uh, the problem of uh, poverty among women, especially women of color in Mississippi, uh, but also the question of child care and how to access child care. You know, the, I, and I'm not the only speaker, but I certainly will, will be there and I'll be giving the, the keynote address. 
And I think it's important to recognize the ways in which women in Mississippi have been struggling around this issue for a very, very long time. With the reform of welfare in 1996, this is actually the 20th anniversary of welfare reform, promises were made that, in fact, those people who are impoverished and who were unable to take care of their own children would, in fact, find jobs that would enable them to be self-supporting. That was the premise of the 96 welfare reform. It's called the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Reconciliation Act. Uh, and that was a program that created TANF, Temporary Assistance to Needy Families. The premise behind that reform was, in fact, we would create a pathway to enable women to get work, to find child care for their children so they could work. And I think if Mississippi is an example of that, we can see how that program has, in fact, failed women. Of the 140,000 children who are eligible for child care in Mississippi, there are only about 17,000 who are currently being served. There are TANF funds in Mississippi that are being left unspent while there is this enormous need uh, for poor women to have reliable child care. Is that so because have- of, is that lack of access because of the rural area? Is it because of lack of education? that women don't know about uh, the funds? What do you think? Mm-hmm. The, the state has has not allocated that money to child care. The state has the power to do that. So TANF funds, Mississippi TANF funds, are being left unspent rather, or being spent on other kinds of uses such as fraud detection when, in fact, the state has the ability to take those resources and provide subsidized child care for poor women who are in the workforce. So I think that's something that the that the state itself can begin to rectify if, in fact, there was a desire to do so. Dr. Premila Nadison is an associate professor at Barnard College, Columbia University. Dr. Nadison, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much, Karen. Up next, a new campaign to help more Mississippi school kids read at grade level. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. The end of the year is the perfect time to get rid of that old car that's been taking up space in your driveway or garage. Why not let someone else sell that car for you while you simultaneously contribute to MPB? Donations received by 12 a.m. local time on January 1st count for the 2016 tax year. Wrap up your year in the spirit of holiday giving and receive a tax deduction for your vehicle donation to MPB. To donate or learn more, go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. There's a new push to help kids read in Mississippi. The Campaign for Grade Level Reading brings communities together to create reading partnership programs with schools emphasizing low-income students. Campaign Director Ashley Shields tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the initiative is part of a national movement and Mississippi already has taken steps forward on the issue. I'm incredibly excited. I think this is such a great opportunity for Mississippi to be a part of a network, a national network that that provides resources, that gives the support that we need, but also that lends us the opportunity to, to shine spotlights on the great work that's happening in our state. So there are communities that are already doing amazing things, that have built coalitions around supporting schools and children, so giving us an opportunity not only to learn from those, but to uh, collaborate and be cohesive in taking those efforts forward. What areas does this program focus on? 
So our three focus areas um, are school readiness, helping children to be prepared for school from the, the day that they arrive, so really focusing on early childhood learning opportunities. Um, school attendance, making sure that when school when children attend school that they're there every day, that they miss rarely. And summer learning, that we provide high-quality summer learning opportunities for children outside of school so that that learning continues. While I know summers are supposed to be fun, learning can also happen to increase their um, reading rate so that it doesn't slide. What about uh, the funding component of this program? Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So we are really excited that this is a public-private sector project, that we have um, public support from the Mississippi Department of Education, but that we have public uh, private support as well, the private sector with grants and other philanthropic organizations that are are putting money on the table for communities to engage in this work and to rally around these focus areas to help support their own community-driven and community-led efforts. When can these community organizations start participating in the program? Absolutely. Great question. So our network is open. I uh, am eager and willing to speak with any communities that are interested. And in early 2017, uh, we hope very soon in January that the small grant funds will be open for those communities that express interest and fill out a letter of intent. So the support from me begins immediately um, in getting that process going and figuring out what the community solutions they would like to prioritize. Do we have any communities that have already signed up? We have two existing campaigns in our state, one in Gulfport and one in Oxford, that are doing this work and have been for the last couple of years. So they're great models here in our state to see how they've been able to use these resources. And and we have others that have expressed interest that we're working with currently. The programs in Gulfport and in Oxford, will those be the blueprint for the other communities? Yes, absolutely. Our Gulfport community is actually one of 38 nationally to be recognized as a paysetter community in school readiness. So we have a perfect model with what they're doing around providing high-quality early learning uh, opportunities for the children in their community. So we do have those resources and the blueprints there for for us, but also we want this to be community-specific. So if what they're doing doesn't fit with what another community wants to do or wants to prioritize, we have other blueprints, if you will, available to us through the national network. How are kids in Mississippi doing right now in reading? We're excited to say that Mississippi children have improved their fourth-grade scores, that they actually um, are substantially better than they were a few years ago. So we're happy to see that progress. We know there's more work to be done, but we have to celebrate the fact that children um, are leaving third grade more prepared. They're leaving kindergarten more prepared. Our kindergarten readiness shows that two-thirds are coming in unprepared, but two-thirds are leaving prepared. So I think that we're doing a lot of work in this area, just joining, getting communities to join on board and bringing other parents um, and key stakeholders to the table to help continue this effort. MPB's Mark Rigsby with Ashley Shields of the campaign for grade level reading. Up next, corporate intrigue and personal passion in our book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Ray Kroc became one of the richest people in the world as the chairman of McDonald's. But few people know the influence that his wife Joan had on his life and on the company behind the Golden Arches. In her new book, Ray and Joan, writer Lisa Napoli takes a look inside the world of this fascinating couple. In today's book club, she tells us the life of the Crocs was a classic American tale of corporate intrigue and private passion. 
the McDonald brothers were straight-laced New England guys, and they saw if they eliminated the car hops, if they eliminated all of the glassware, if they just made it quick and efficient for somebody to walk up, put down their money and get their 15-cent hamburger and go, then they'd attract a whole different clientele. And that was true. At first, it was a little rocky. People didn't understand the concept of having to walk up to the window. But eventually, they did. And people loved it because they could give their kids a quarter and have their kid go up from the car go place the order and get this food fast, and that made the kid feel empowered. So it was very family-friendly. And Ray loved it. So he asked the brothers if he could franchise the idea, and the brothers had no interest. They were busy, so Ray started shopping around franchises on their behalf. How did Joan enter the picture? Ray was trouncing around the Midwest looking for franchisees. He went into a very fancy restaurant in St. Paul, and the restaurateur there was interested in this idea of a hamburger stand. In that restaurant, he had hired Joan, a very attractive blonde, to play organ to the patrons in the dining room. And Ray walked in to have a meeting with Jim Zine. He spotted this organist and was taken by her very proficient playing, but he was also very taken by her. And so before the meeting started, he asked if he could meet her, and he did. And somehow, mysteriously or not, Joan's first husband was hired to manage the restaurant that Jim Zine opened not long afterwards. They both had spouses at the time that they were falling in love with one another? Yes, they did. And at one point, Joan was going to run off and marry Ray, but she decided not to and stay with her family. So Ray went ahead and divorced his wife, but married another woman. And it took a while before he and Joan finally got together. They it's did quite not, a soap opera. They did not, however, live happily ever after. Well, they didn't. They had a very complicated relationship. It wasn't one of those long passions that just, you know, once they finally get together, they skip happily down the road. They had a complicated life. She was disturbed by his drinking He didn't see that he had a problem. This was a time before people really widely used the word alcoholic to describe someone, particularly somebody who was a very successful businessman. It just seemed impossible to imagine that that was the case. So instead of divorcing him, which she almost did, she stuck around and channeled her despair into a charity called Operation Cork, Croc spelled backwards. And that was her answer to raise resistance for getting help. She decided that she would help people understand that alcoholism was a problem, that it was a problem that impacted the whole family. And the way she did this was very McDonald's. Of course, McDonald's made its name by buying advertising very skillfully. She deployed that technique to her charity. She made films and she commissioned books and she got the authors of those books placed on television and she got people talking about this problem before other people widely did. She was an early funder of the Betty Ford Clinic. But she did this while Ray was still alive? Yeah, while Ray was still alive and while he was still drinking. It didn't bother him that she was doing that? He was super supportive of her. He was very proud of what she was doing. He would sit in on the meetings. It doesn't seem to make any sense, but he was happy that she was busy. It was a different time then. That's part of what was so interesting about researching this book is thinking about the 70s and the different mores and the different standards that people kept. What was the company or what was she worth after he passed away? He was worth around half a billion dollars when he died in 1984. When she died, she was worth about $3 billion wow. in 2003. Well, and sure. since then, with all of the charities, she's also been responsible for 26 croc centers, 
which are yes. related to the Salvation Army and are huge benefits to a community where they are. Yes, I believe there's one in Mississippi. Yes, um, Biloxi. At the end of her life, before she was diagnosed with this terminal illness, she built a prototype for the center in San Diego. Now, no one knew it was a prototype. She just commissioned this thing to be built, this beautiful recreation center in a poor community, and it transformed the community. When she was diagnosed with brain cancer, she gave $2 billion, two-thirds of her fortune, to the Salvation Army with the mandate that they build these centers all around the country in underserved neighborhoods. They're incredible places. They bear both Ray and Joan's names, and anybody who's been in one knows just how beautiful they are, as well as how important they are in helping the communities grow and thrive. The book is called Ray and Joan, The Man Who Made the McDonald's Fortune and the Woman Who Gave It All Away. We've been speaking with the author Lisa Napoli. Lisa, thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much for your time. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Creature Comforts, MPB Season Pass, and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Old Capitol Museum Statehood Day, Thursday, December 9th, featuring an address by the First Lady of Mississippi, Deborah Bryant, at noon, with a reception to follow. Details at oldcapitalmuseum.com or 601-576-6920. 